I'm Jordan Ferguson. And I'm Kate McKinnon. And you are listening to the Geek Down Podcast. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Geek Down Podcast. This is a show where two friends sit in front of microphones and try to find the sweet spots where their fandoms intersect. My name is Jordan Ferguson. I'm keeping it real spoops here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And joining me on the other line, possibly keeping it similarly spoops from the Satellite Branch in Hamilton, Ontario, it's your girl, Caitlin McKinnon. Hello. This is my favorite time of year. It really is. Friends, you're listening to this possibly on All Saints Day, but, you know, we are in peak spoop as we're recording right now it is sunday the 30th yep it's very autumnal out there got some orange very leaves much. very crunchy not yeah. quite super cold just a little brisk when you're out there yeah um it is a little weird because even last year like october 31st was cold mm. um and when it's not cold that freaks me out <laughs> i mean having my birthday is late September. Having like nice weekends in even late September, I was fine with. I was like, "This is this is a birthday gift to me." Thank <laughs> just, you, Mother Nature. You just seem to get later and later into the year now, starting to give you anxiety. Yeah, and I mean, every year we've managed to have snow like on Christmas Eve, and it's gone by like the end of the day Christmas. Yeah, but but senior correspondent Chris thinks this is the year where there'll be a no snow Christmas, mm. and I'm like, "What is this, California?" Ugh. Wow. Hey. I didn't mean that. <laughs> I know. I know someone. I know. Someone, I know our, uh, someone, our producer. <laughs> executive producer might take an issue. It's you with that. Um, uh, it's mostly just I think you really need to have snow at Christmas. Like mm. it's been ingrained in me through movies and living in yes. Canada that like snow at Christmas is a must. I would concur with that. It's just uh, that's the, yes, that's the Canadian in me. Uh, friends, come for the nerd talk. Stay for the farmer's almanac core that we get into at the top of the show. Literally, the first thing that comes out of our mouths. Friends, this is episode two hundred and ninety-seven of the Geek Down podcast. If you'd like to listen to any of our other two hundred and ninety-six episodes, take yourself wherever you get your audio content: Spotify, SoundCloud, Google, Apple, or Stitcher. Give us a little rate, review, follow, subscribe, and you will never have to worry. If you're out there trying to milk these last warm days of autumn before the snow hits, you'll never have to worry about acquiring this podcast because it's going to be brought to you. You just be keep keep doing what you're doing. We'll bring it to you from the back of a rainbow mane alicorn named Philip delivered by someone who has seen all the changing seasons for millennia. And that's your man's. Dr. Chauncey Frostelicus III, Geek Down Internet Elf. Doctor of Meteorology. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, yeah, no. Oh, I think he's a doctor in several things. I mean, he's had a lot of time. That's true. He just cakes, yeah. cakes up degrees. Chauncey believes in the power of education. Yeah, and so do I, goddammit. <laughs> he's going to bring those episodes to you. It is what he loves to do. Friends, if you have your own hot takes on the Farmer's Almanac, you can hit us up at twitter.com slash geekdownpod. We're still there. Get up off Twitter. And I will fight We're you. We're still there. If you go fight me, oh, Farmer's Almanac takes. I have my farmer's all. I can go grab it right now. Please don't. I was looking at it yesterday. Please it was my do. bedtime you, reading. <laughs> you were looking at it yesterday. I was. I was, good. I was seeing what oh, predictions they had for the winter. God. Jesus. <laughs> you have a phone. Yes, it's not the same. I try and go non-digital at night. <laughs> the light doesn't keep me up. 
Oh, it's Sleep literally the it's important. literally the weather. Look at it and then put your phone down and then read something else. I'm sorry. They don't want to predict too far out because they're cowards. Are you checking in March? What do you do? The almanac is like, no, oh God. God damn it. This is our prediction. Yo. We're witches here. <laughs> you can see the future. Oh, my God damn it. Friends, if you want to... Uh throw three bucks in the old tip jar so Kate can get one of those little like portable weather stations that you put you put a wand in your yard and then you have a little like you know gauge on your kitchen window Papa Ferguson got one of those at his house that's why I know they exist Kate and Papa Ferguson just super deep on weather chat ko-fi.com slash geek town pot every dollar is appreciated in the support of this endeavor Kate yes how are you feeling uh, I'm all right. Like I said, favorite time of year. Um, I mean, we'll get into it in updates, but I've been watching a lot of my favorite um, fall and Halloween movies. Um, yeah, it's been good. I've been eating way too much candy, though. <laughs> come come back next week when I am sad because it's um, it's crap. It's November Crapathon, and I'm also trying to purge my body of <laughs> the levels of sugar it's currently at. Um, yeah, the, the tone will be a little, a little less jovial then. Y'all, I don't talk much about what I do at Major Canadian Retailer, but I think you've gleaned over the years. I kind of work in like logistics and I'm managerial adjacent. One of my uh, partners there usually will go on a Tim's run around seven because that's when they open and he wants to, uh, he wants to grab a tea or something and invariably he comes back. With 40 Timbits. For the team. Do you know what I don't need during peak holiday inbound? Just a trough of sugar dough for me to stress eat every time I walk past it. The the I can fight someone on this, but the best Timbit is the birthday party Timbit. Um, that's a respectable choice. Sour cream glazed all day for me, but mm, okay, fair old man. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> At least you didn't say plain. Who says plain? Who the fuck that, says that plain? Hurts my tongue. They you only they only put plain in a Timbit's box if you ask, you know, because you didn't ask them not to, and they need to get rid of them. They're like corporately mandated to make plain Timbits. Yeah, just eat a sponge. Like, what do you? <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you have a crow in your apartment? Do I have a crow? I I can't hear it if I do. Oh, amazing! It's just in the back. It's hey, it's it's a perfect vibe. Well, friends, after a dose of radio magic, yes, apparently I do have a crow <laughs> chilling out somewhere in the neighborhood. Just came by to say hey, and like Kate said, it is a perfect vibe for this episode. Yeah. So we're just gonna leave all this in. Um, he's very chatty though. <laughs> he has a lot to say today. We'll see how long the window stays open. People uh, pay for that kind of vibe, so <laughs> we got it for free. Nature provides it for free. Yep. Um, yeah, and then today he showed up with you know, got to keep it, got to keep it spoopy, got to bring the Halloween treats for for the friends. And I'm like, you are like you're making it your goal in life to make this the fattest holiday. <laughs> Season. Does he secretly like work for some sort of like diabetes? I don't know. He, yeah, he or he like works for Cadbury or something. Like I don't know what your jam is, friendo, but cool it. We know I manage stress through food. Don't just yeah. leave it there as things are exploding around me every morning. Anyway, I just this is not my favorite time of year. I mean, like climatologically, it 
it, it's a short. I've really gotten into summer in my old age. I don't know why. It's just I like the vibe. Yeah, you know what? Same. I think it's because. As a kid, you felt summers lasted forever, and, and now you know that is not true. Every year, it's like how many more? How many more of these I got left? These are kind of dope. Um, <laughs> Very dark. But listen, but you know, y'all know, y'all know what you come here for. Um, this is uh, autumn is a close second because we know it's it's uh, it's big man stunt season. The layer mm-hmm. game is is pristine, um, and the Halloweenness of it is not really my jam. But I have come to appreciate what. You know, people I li- in my life who I care about are super into Halloween and that vibe. And, you know, I love it for them, shall we say. Thank you. You're welcome. Friends, there is news out there in the world. I don't know how much time we're going to spend on any of it. But, uh, Kate. Yeah. How do you feel about the uh, appointment of James Gunn partnering with Peter Safran to be DC's Kevin Feige for the next four to six years? Oh, that's fine. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be enough time. I think Kevin Feige has like uploaded his consciousness onto some computer. So when he eventually dies, they can just continue to produce Marvel content. Um, I don't think James Gunn has the same level of commitment, not to like producing cool, fun things, but just to being Kevin Feige. Yeah, and also somebody asked Kevin Feige at a, at the Wakanda Forever premiere what he thought about it, and Kevin Feige was just kind of like, "Yeah, we got him under contract for another two years anyway, so he still owes us like two years." Yeah. Um, everyone seems to be very amicable about this. I think James Gunn just wants to do cool things, and he can do a different type of cool thing. At and DC. I think whatever he 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 pulls out, I think it's going to be great. Like he makes great movies and TV shows and stuff, and um, I think that's all. I think it's a, a great move for DC. Um, they should probably done something like that a long time ago, of, or at least had someone in control <laughs> of all of the properties. I mean, and it, um, we don't know how this is going to look. I think I think the powers that be at your boy your boy Zaz over there still wants a Zazlov still wants a. You know, that Feige touch, the unified, you know, shared universe type thing. That's maybe not as dour as the Snyderverse. Mm. Um, but it remains to be seen if uh, Gun and Co., Gun and Saffron, kind of wipe the slate clean and start from scratch. Or if they keep some things. I mean, obviously, you know, say what you will. It ain't my bag. But, you know, Joker won an Oscar and they're making a second one. You probably don't want to wipe that off the table. Did it? Yeah, Joaquin got uh, Joaquin Phoenix got best actor for that. No, he did. He won the Oscar for Joker in 2020, which is not a movie I have ever seen, nor really have any intention of seeing. Which is surprising, given my given my sort of affinity for the character. But that is too many Jokers at that point. Oh my God, so many Jokers! Forget Flashpoint. They need to have like the Joker movie. Um, and that's the other, like Flashpoint was supposed to be this big mind bender, you know, oh my God, the multiverse. And then uh, Marvel kind of beat him to it with Spider-Verse. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, No Way Home. So I mean, TBD, like you said, James Gunn does, uh, does cool stuff. He does good work. He, man. He's made some, he's made some fun stuff. Listen, Peacemaker still one of the biggest surprises. Did that come out this year? That came out this year, right? Yeah. Or, early this year? Yeah. Peacemaker was very surprising to me. So, I mean, I didn't, uh, I certainly am curious to see. Uh, how this is going to iterate. Um, also, I don't have this in front of me, but I think it was in... So Chris and Andy were talking about this. I think they read the same article Senior Correspondent read last week about Andor, and I'm sure we'll talk about Andor later. We'll try to keep it under 20 minutes, but I guarantee nothing. Um, <laughs> the same stat that like it is the lowest streamed 
and least watched Star Wars thing since it started happening. Um, Chris and Andy felt about that stat the same way we do. Um, but they also mentioned that maybe in that article, I'm just going to throw this quote out to you from your boy Chapek. He apparently mentioned somewhere or gave a statement or a speech or something and made the comment that after parents put their kids to sleep, they don't want to watch animation. What? How do you feel about that take, Kate? Well, you know how I feel about that take. That's a dumb take. The people might not. Give the people your take on that. Give give the people your assessment on that opinion, Caitlin. Um... I think that is basically someone ignoring the last 20 years of television. One could Just argue. Full on ignoring, whether you're saying the prevalence of um, anime in the West now or of cartoons specifically made for adults um, that really started happening in the late 90s. Um, even just, I mean, just taking the Simpsons into account, right? Um, I think that's, I think there are so many shows also that are great for kids and also great for adults. Um, that's, that's a surprise that anyone would think that. Um, oh, though I do a little caveat. I am not a parent. Maybe watching like four hours of Bluey or whatever, I would all I would be like, yeah, maybe no animation. I could never see that happening. Some of the best storytelling in the last twenty years has happened in in the form of animation of some sort. So I find that very surprising. Uh, yes, this was in a recent interview with the Wall Street Journal. Chapek uh, brought more negative attention to himself with a claim that animation is only for kids. I quote, I always say that when parents put their kids to bed at night after watching an animated film, they're probably not going to tune into another animated movie. They want something for them. You know what's for me? Chainsaw Man. <laughs> right? More on that more on that later. But yes, that, that old that, man yells at Cloud. Um I yeah, I think that's a really that worry it worries me. A lot of things about Disney worry me, of course, but that worries me because it's again. It's like ignoring the last twenty years of of entertainment and and what Disney has done, right? Like, fine, Clone Wars is for kids, sure, sure. But I can tell you right now, a lot of its viewership is just straight up adults. I'm not talking about like young adults. I'm like thirty plus crowd. I mean, so. and, and never mind that the guy steering the whole fucking ship right now, the guy who like brainstormed the Mandalorian, came from your animation division, and you're just like yeah. undercutting. You know, I'm sure you're not. You don't devalue the like medium. You just think it's for kids. Um, and it which should, I think it's a devaluation personally. Should also be said that uh, in this, this is an article on Screen Rant. Uh, there's an embedded tweet. Um, from Cartoon Brew posting the clip of JPEG saying it, and then it's being quote tweeted, quote tweeted by Christopher Miller of Lord and Miller fame, which is an eye roll emoji. So <laughs> there you know how people in the industry feel. Uh, so there, yeah. there, there's some tidbits uh, floating around. We're not going to get into all the trailer talk. You've all seen the trailers by now. You've seen Quantumania. You've seen all the Wakanda Forever trailers. Um, I'm not going to concern troll Quantumania, but I it is a flip for Ant-Man as a character in a franchise. It's a lot to put on Rudd's shoulders. <laughs> I think he can do it, but 
He's got this. That's it's a, good. You went from being the the fun, not serious franchise, like the Breather movies, to essentially being the like catalyst for the next five to seven years of, I, I of think Marvel it's okay. properties. I think it's okay because they also have like a really robust cast. Do I feel good or bad about Michael Douglas and <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer sitting on good. a green screen going, woo? Good, because Michelle Pfeiffer is a goddess among us. Yes, so and why is she in this? <laughs> is my because question. it's a lot of fun, and and superhero movies are fun. And never forget, there are many actors who are graduates of the most prestigious school in Hollywood, Caitlin. The Andy McDowell School of Nautical Acquisition. <laughs> Um, you get, know what? Get that boat have, money. Have we checked in on Andrew McDowell on her boat money? It's not, she... it's not Chris. It's not the holiday season yet. When we size up the holiday offerings, we will definitely check in on how how Andy McDowell's boat fund is doing. But yeah. Um. So yeah. Also, that's... is she is she saving up for a fleet or just a single very large yacht? Commodore McDowell. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Oh Lord! Speaking of monies and the payments of it, and and how fair said payments are uh kate you want to talk about bayonetta yeah except i want to talk yeah i want to talk it in in like really broad terms if you're coming here for specifics and receipts this is probably go talk to jordan like this is not that is not my wheelhouse let jordan do that thing he does where he needs to know everything about something in 15 minutes and then then come find jordan um if you don't know what bayonetta is it is a we are on the third iteration now this is a game from sega i believe believe it's sega um, Sega publishes it. They're not like there's a studio that works on it. Um, and it is essentially about a sexy lady with glasses who fights with her hair is my it can, and brief, the style, brief summary. The style is like um, Asian-ish inspired magical armor and her boots have guns. Like that right. is. She's got guns in the heels of her boots. That's right. She's a very feminine, very large breasted. She has sassy sayings. But people, men and women, um, alike, uh, adore this character. Mm-hmm. I have never played a Bay- Bayonetta game. I've heard they're lots of fun. Um, but the recent kerfuffle is that the voice actress who has done the last two Bayonettas, Helena Taylor, or sorry, the, the English voice acting, mm-hmm. Helena Taylor, um, she... Apparently, she said that um, they only offered her $4,000 to do the entirety of the video game. Yes. Um, And people were appalled, of course. We've talked a lot about voice acting. We talked about this a few weeks ago with the Crunchyroll Mob Psycho 100 thing and how how paltry the the payouts for voice actors tend to be. Yeah. And she's, you know, she's beloved by fans and it... It is not. It was not surprising. It was disgusting, but not surprising. A lot of people it like split the fan base, um, and then it was found out that one of my favorite people in the entire world, Jennifer Hale, had done the voice acting for it, mm-hmm. and basically a bunch of people attacked her online for taking the role. Um, I'm pretty sure Jennifer Hale did not know about Helena Taylor. I don't think it had come out at that point. Maybe she did know. You can't 
tell what people know. All she knows is she was offered the contract. She took it. Um, she did the voice for it. Um, and now, and now this is really what I want to talk about is that there are issues online that are often far more complicated than the online world maybe wants you to believe. So one part of that is that, um, apparently, according to, I think it's one of the producers, they offered Helena Taylor actually far more money. It was like 4000 to $5,000 a session. Yes. Not completely. And that she had sort of like misled the audience. Um, uh, she says that's not true. There's a lot of back and forth about this. Apparently, he's brought some sort of receipts. Anyways, there's all that back and forth. There's also the fact that for a lot of women who are like, support women and support women getting paid fairly and all of that, she's also told people to start sending donation money to an anti-abortion Yeah, I'm just just seeing that one. (laughs) Um, And a lot of people are like, huh? What? Um, And... There are a lot of things here that are very messy and sort of, I think to take, I mean, I don't know all the bits and pieces. I'm not saying anyone is right or wrong here, except for the anti-abortion thing. That's horrifying. Um, But I do want to say that this is a reminder that things that come out on the internet are often more complicated than we would like. Our brains automatically want to make things black and white. Um, I will blame storybooks for that. Um, <laughs> you know, we want bad guys and good guys. Um, and I, I think there, you have to sort of take things with more nuance, with more grains of salt. Just, and again, there are parts of it that are not okay. Um, and there are truths in there. Um, but I really think that when we hear stories on the internet, um, question things. And, of course, feel free to be upset for someone, um, but just, you know, be careful, I guess. Um, and just to fill in some details here, this is a uh, article on Kotaku that was published on Friday specifically about Helena Taylor's urging of fans to take the money they would have spent on Bayonetta and donating it to Billboards for Life. This is the, the quote from Kotaku. Um as Kate said, she went viral and turned into a mini internet hero for revealing she didn't wasn't working on the series anymore for the insulting pay she was offered, uh, offering her a flat rate of $4,000 uh, with uh, Jennifer Hale caught in the crossfire. Bloomberg later reported that Taylor was actually offered closer to $4,000 per session with the total pay for the project being closer to fifteen. Um, that's not an annual salary, but the you know this is not a Grand Theft Auto level of dialogue. This is an action game, which would probably, you know equate to a few months work. I can't say for a fact. I'm just, this is wholly my uninformed guesstimation. Um, but $4,000 for a day's work does not strike me as unfair. Well, sorry, that's a, that's a session. It might not be a day. It might be like over, they might count a session as like, ah. like a week. A I, week? I really, what I read was that it's still not tons of money um, for the work, but it definitely puts a different spin on things. You know, I think I remember hearing about this first and being like, Oh, that's so terrible. Here's another. And I think when somebody does that, it also paints everyone with a bad brush. Um, but again, I just, I'm, 
don't take every story at the very outset at face value. Learn to question things, folks. And yeah, like this is why my Twitter is the most boring thing in the world because it's like the impulse, which is not one that I share probably because I'm a, you know, generation removed. Um, you but, can say it. You're old. Fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> Damn, son. It's not my impulse. If I see something that makes me go, oh, you know, I give it a minute. Yeah. I wait to see how it plays out for a while instead of just being like catching Twitter finger. Tippity tap, tap, tap. <laughs> get the, gotta get these tweets off. Um, so, like you said, I think it's, this is proof positive that, like, people read a thing that seemed similar to a thing that we had already heard about and was legit, which was the horrible pay for um, anime actors. You're like, oh my god, video games is doing this too? That's terrible. And then by the time, you know, reputable journalists actually, you know, do some digging and find out, mm, actually, it wasn't quite that thing. Um, some people... You know, some, a certain fraction of the online voices will be like, oh, shit, I got that one wrong. But a lot of people never thought of the story again. Yeah. You know. What did I see once? I saw a tweet today, which is always the lamest way to start a sentence, but I did see a tweet today that was basically, <laughs> basically saying that, like, they were talking about how they got, um, they got paywalled by, like, you know, the New York Times or something and just how, like, you're trying to read an article about something and you got paywalled. And then you think about how Fox news, Breitbart, all those sites never paywall. Yeah. And think about that. Like journalists got to make money, but lies are free. Yeah. They make the lies, make a lot of money. And they make a lot of money. Um, not today though. Kate. Yeah. What updates you got? Um, okay. I'm going to leave and or to the end or until we like cross okay, over. Okay. Um, continued watching Star Trek Lower Decks. Last episode was fantastic. Um, and then I started my like yearly October. Well, I didn't start. I, a continuation of my yearly sort of October to November rewatch of movies um, that I can kind of have in the background while I'm doing other things. Mm-hmm. So that includes things like Paranorman, Coraline, James of the Giant Peach, Frankenweenie. Um, and then I, my upcoming will be probably Rango, Coco, Kubo, um, Book of Life, and The Nightmare Before Christmas, obviously. Um, so yeah, all of those. Are you laughing Of course. Of course you end with The Nightmare Before Christmas because that's the transition. It's the transition. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, if you had to choose, I would say it's a Christmas movie. I know this will divide some people, but technically the movie starts on October 31st. So just saying. Um, So the other thing that I have to talk about um, is the fact that yesterday I not only went to my first masquerade party, I went to my first murder mystery party. Oh, it was a murder mystery masquerade. And we know how I love an alliteration. Um, yeah, it was so much fun. You deliberate. Uh, I asked you at the start of this show how your week was, <laughs> and you saved this till now. Yeah, ma'am. Yeah, I did. Um, it was fantastic. Our friends who hosted it were amazing hosts. Um, I had so much fun, and at the end of it, um, we all like got our costumes because of course you're wearing masks and all kinds of stuff. Um, and we watched Clue. So basically one of the best, 
um, Halloween, Halloween parties I've ever been to. Um, and, uh, and I won, uh, a prize for best costume. What was your costume? Or was it just an elaborate masquerade? I was I was the hair. So it's like a a character that you play. Of course, you don't have a name or anything. They just sort of give you some background Mm. and your your mask. I had to have like a rabbit sort of mask. So I made it. I made it myself. Um, And uh, yeah, I spliced like two masks together and like painted my mask and stuff. And yeah, I'm I I it was supposed to take place in 1755. So I looked generally um, 1755 ish. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think Chris and I technically we, we, we were like joint winners. Um, but I think everyone was impressed with my, my ruffled cravat. So yeah, I was, yeah, it was, it was just tons of fun. And, and if you ever get a chance to go to a murder mystery, you have to do it at least once in your life. <laughs> um, so yeah, those are two things off my bucket list, which is great. <laughs> Um, and other than that, like getting ready for that and for Halloween and watching all those, all those, uh, a lot of them are, are claymation. Like I have to mention that's yes. sort of like a theme. Um, Suck it, Chapek. <laughs> um, and a lot of them, I, I know they're supposed to be like four kids, but some of them are pretty horrifying. Like Coraline is like a real creepy movie. Like, mwah. thank you, uh, Henry Selleck. Um, but yeah, other than that, and then of course, Andor, I, I didn't watch much else. I was busy. <laughs> um, Andor's rad. That's all, I yeah. gotta say. That's all I gotta say about it. Do I really need um, to say anything else? Andor's rad. That's it. Uh, and-, and Empire Prisons are terrifying. <sighs> when you employ psychologists to design your prisons, oh, it's like, listen. That prison scenario, yeah, is so. This episode, we you know, we talked last week about how Cassian got arrested. On what episode are we even on now? Was that eight that just happened? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 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 seven or eight. Um, it's seven. I don't know if it was, but I don't care to debate it. Um, <laughs> but like that prison scenario where you're like. Some people have posited, like, are they building the Death Star? It doesn't matter. They're building something. It's the prison. It's the Empire Prison Industrial Complex. Like, they yeah. use... They arrest people. Chris and Andy pointed something out on the podcast when I was listening on my way home. I didn't notice this shot, but they, they called out each shots that they liked and appreciated. And the shot Chris pointed out was when they're kicking their shoes off, because it's the whole, like, you know, they, they use the floor. I don't know if it's, a, like, electrocuting or heat or whatever, or, but, like, it's the floor. They have to walk around. The prisoners walk around barefoot, and they use the floor to keep them in check. Um, when they kick their shoes off, it's not just that all their shoes were different. Some people had espadrilles. Some people had sandals on, flip-flops, whatever. It's that nobody was wearing combat boots. No. None of these people are soldiers. No. They're just people who got caught up like he got caught up. And that is way more terrifying to me than blowing up Alderaan. (laughs) Yeah, I think that, I mean, this is what they've been talking about a lot about, you know, they wanted the Empire's Fist to come down because they needed people to see. Oh, God, yeah, that fucking scene with uh, Sarsgaard and Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, where it's like, it's like, we need, we need the Empire to step on people. Because that's what's going to motivate people and militarize people enough to resist. 
Let's see, and this is, I've, I'm sorry I'm making this so dark, but this is my problem with our, like, bread and circuses right now, <laughs> is that people are getting, like, it's slowly corroding, like, people's, like, care about, you know, oh, like, I'm not going to vote because it doesn't matter, right? At least I have Netflix. Except what happens is things get really bad. People start to, the the wages start to stagnate. You know, people can't find housing. And that's when people are like, you know what? Enough people are angry about something <laughs> that they will either come together and, and vote or want reforms. Um, so I know it's not the same. And it's not the same as people getting, you know, tortured and killed and having their land taken away from them. But it does sometimes take bad things happening to a lot of people to motivate a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so that is, I love that that part of the politicalness of and it. We're and we're thinking about these things from a freaking Star Wars show. Yeah. And like, tell me exactly what Kenobi was making me think about. Was it making me think about that this could have been better written? I yes, mean... it was. Shots fired! Shots fired! This is making me think about like politics and war and how we help others and what it takes to radicalize people and all of that. So, yeah. Like, you've done more to make me fear the Empire than Darth Vader ever did. Just by showing, like, the, you know, the heel, <laughs> the fascist heel on the necks of everyday people. And I think, I, I actually also forgot I watched something else. Oh. Um, another Star Wars thing, mm -hmm. which puts this into a really interesting um, comparison. Mm. This show... So I've heard from quite a few people that they think this show is boring. Because people are um, stupid. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I'm not going to be critical of anybody, but I am. Um, you're terrible people and you don't know what you're missing. No, but I, I, I kind of understand like people will come to Star Wars for, and you know, action and laser swords and okay, I get that. But I think anybody could watch this show. Like I think... You don't need to have even seen Rogue One. You don't need to know that much about Star Wars, just that it takes place in space opera future magic land um, <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away. Um, but I also watched Tales of the Jedi. Right. Um, and the tale Tales of the Jedi was like made for people who've seen the clone wars and who've seen like a bunch of star Wars stuff. Like there were episodes that we, it was, it was this, it was the last episode that we actually stopped the sec at the second last one, watched part of an episode from um, the last season of clone wars, which they just came out with like last year. Um, and then watched the last episode and Chris was like, thank God we watched that episode or we would have no idea why, why this character was in that episode. Mm. Like that's from coming from us. Yeah. Right. Um, and so that like, I wouldn't recommend that to people who hadn't seen the clone wars or, um, you know, haven't, hadn't seen rebels. Um, it wouldn't really make sense. It might make a little bit of sense to them. Like it's still a fun little series. They're like 15 minutes each. Mm. Um, but I don't think that I would, I would totally recommend Andor to someone who had maybe only seen the original even trilogy. Right. Like, listen, that's me. 
I've seen, I haven't even seen all the Abrams movies, but bless. Um, I've seen, you know, the original trilogy, not recently. And I just have like a vague, you know, ephemeral awareness of Star Wars as a thing, mostly through this show. And I have not seen Rogue One and I don't need to have seen Rogue One to appreciate what this show is doing because the themes it's playing with are bigger than Star Wars. It's not about yeah. fucking lore. It's, and apparently that stuff is in there. There was something about Greedo's blaster a few like episodes ago that I like whew, totally over my head. Like if it happened, I totally missed it, but I didn't care. It didn't impact my viewing of it because that wasn't the point yeah. of the story. You know, you threw the, you want to throw that out there for the super nerds. Okay, fine, whatever. Um, the show does not demand that or require it. It's just the themes it's playing with are big enough. They're just happening in a Star Wars show, which is nuts. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, and to still have like to start with what's what's the girl, the woman you called a c word last week? Like, oh, oh, yeah, like, yeah, the, you, the ba- yeah, you start with her at the start of the series almost being empathetic because you think she's kind of like, well, she's just trying to do her job to now seven episodes later or whatever, being like, don't take this guy out of the room yet. I want Bix to see him. Yeah. And then when Bix comes in playing the like, what are you doing? Get him out of here. <laughs> yeah. Like that's vilely evil. Um, yeah. Just genius. It, it, it hints at a complexity of every character here that no one is, it's, it's you know, it's not paint by numbers. You know, the clumsy analogy I was thinking of when you were talking about the tales of the Jedi versus this. And again, we're going 20 minutes mm-hmm. on Andor again. Sorry, y'all. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, what's our time at? Hit, hit the plus 50. When I used to, like, when I was working more sales at Major Canadian Retailer and people wanted a Batman book, and I'd be like, what kind of Batman do you want? I would always give them the book Hush by Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee, which was literally Jim Lee's return to comics, that artist's return to comics, and Jeff Loeb just trying to come up with an excuse for Jim Lee to draw everyone. So it's like the entire rogues gallery plus Superman plus the Justice League. Everybody makes a cameo in this series. It is Michael Bay, widescreen, over the top, everything. Bang, bing, bang, pow. That's the Mandalorian. That's Jedi and space wizards. That's all that stuff. But then there was also Batman stories that were like, you know, gritty detective. He was the world's greatest detective. And there were Batman stories that played in that lane a little bit, which is dealing with thugs and mobsters and that sort of thing. Something like Batman always had the room for both. Star Wars never really has until like this moment in this show to really, really dig in. Some things have come close, but to really dig in at this level where you're so far removed from the fucking Skywalkers and laser swords and all that stuff, you're just in it. And I I know I said weeks ago that like, this is nuts to me because I was very much a like, give me the people I know. So it's amazing and and testament to how well, well, how well written this show is that like, I don't, I was in from jump without knowing any of these people and you can still have details like you get your food from this tube in the prison you can have as much as you want they want us well fed if you win the day because the the you know building the factory is also a game you're trying to you know get the highest quota what the hell was it top of the shift gets taste (laughs) gets flavor yeah that's just there's a little sprinkle there's a little sprinkle of something dope anyway Y'all, I promise you, we'll do, uh, I'll, I'll trim some of this <laughs> so it's not another 20 minutes. But honestly, when it comes time for me to write my little, you know, 50 things that made the year, you know, bearable, 
<laughs> year-end list. Andor is going to be Aaron. I feel like Andor and the Bear. Someone cute is screaming that I'm even pairing these two together. But like, <laughs> Andor and the Bear are the two best television shows mm-hmm. I have watched this year. They're just a cut above. Andor is like nothing I have ever seen. And shouts to everyone involved. Like, I can't wait to see how this is going and where it's going to mm-hmm. end up. Oh my god, what else did I watch or get into? Uh, kept up with damn near all the anime we talked about last week. Still on. Ooh. How'd you like DIY? I watched the first episode of Do It Yourself. It's very it's very cute. It's very adorable. Yes. Um, does play with the tropes of like the second the second she walked in to that meeting with the school liaison and it's like well if you can't get five members we'll be forced to disband the club i was like everybody knows you need five members for a club everybody everybody knows this. what is wrong with you um but i i haven't gone back to the second episode yet but i mean it, it was very cute it's and it's weird why is that pig have sunglasses on it's very odd um we don't know she's we still love him the main character is delightfully charmingly stupid shall we say she's that character um <laughs> And her hook is also she's very clumsy. So, I mean, her trying to build things and finesse tools, I'm sure, will lead to humor. Um, I've stayed up with Chainsaw Man just for the discourse. It's fine. Uh, You were correct. Power is. (laughs) (laughs) Power just rules. I love her. Um, And which for Mercury remains. It's it's Sunday. We got to wrap this up so I can watch which for Mercury because I love that show. So, so much. Um, A random show I found on Disney Plus. I think it's an FX show. Have you heard of The Premise? No. So The Premise is a show apparently created by BJ Novak of The Office fame, I guess most notably. He played Ryan on The Office and is also a, you know, a comedy writer and actor. And this is his show and it's an anthology show. And it basically is trying to be like one part twilight zone one part black mirror one but like much more comedic i've only had time to watch one episode but this episode was basically about um you could tell the thought experiment was like how far would you go to be an ally because it's in this activist has been arrested for assaulting a cop um and the law firm representing him gets an anonymous tape sent in proving essentially proving his innocence showing that the cop who was who arrested him tripped on his own feet uh trying to walk to the curb um the tape that they acquire turns out to be a guy's sex tape (gasps) and he sent it in because he wanted to be an ally, but it's like they put him on the stand and the cross, you know, the, the prosecutor is like, how do we even know this is you? That girl you're with is way hotter than you. Like, (laughs) Oh wow. This could be a deep fake. Like we can't, we can't prove this. So basically the defending legal team basically just has to air his entire life out. This guy's life out to prove that it's him on the tape to verify the authenticity of the tape to get their client to prove their client's innocence. And it's like, how far will this guy go to be an ally and do the right, you know, do the right thing. It wasn't, it felt like it dragged a little bit. It didn't quite carry its premise all the way, but I was going to say that's a weird message, but okay. I, I don't know what the message was when it came away with it. You know, when the guy ultimately gives his big speech, uh, when the white guy ultimately gives his big speech on the stand about how about you know, whether it's cancel culture or woke, you know, quote unquote cancel culture or quote unquote woke culture or anything, I was like, I don't know what this show was trying to say ultimately. Um, 
but it was an interesting thought experiment and I haven't gone back to it, but there's only like six episodes. So I probably will at some point adjacent updates. I did not buy the record auction. It happened exactly like I said it would friends. There were 20 people watching it within 20 minutes. By the time it got up to $170, I was like, I'm out. Yeah. I threw a couple bids. I definitely had that bid where I was like, oh, I hope somebody outbids me. <laughs> you mean the regret bid? I was, that's what I, I, that's was the high, I, was, I was the high bidder for like seven minutes, and I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> somebody get me out of this. <laughs> and they did. And also the most surprising uh, news of the week. I was not expecting this at all. Uh, Perfume has individual Instagram accounts now. What? Yep. Wait, this isn't this isn't this isn't bad for the future of perfume, is it? We're I don't go I don't know. No, no. Their, solo their, things, right? their names are all still their handles are all still like at Achan PRFM 0000001. Nochi's is okay. at Nochi PRFM dot zero 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 two. This has proven things we could have assumed about the members of Perfume already. Uh Nochi is the aloof one who quickly amassed the most followers and has posted nothing since the original post. <laughs> Of course. Achan is the tryhard who has been just thrown up like 17 stories in the last four hours. And Kashiuka is mid. <laughs> and she's very fashionable. She's very fashionable. That's rude. They're all regal in their own ways. But we, you knew. You knew Achan was just going to be the way. She didn't even know what a mention was. That's adorable. She was like, oh, how's how's this work? It's like, girl, ladies. Even are, I know what a mention what, is. What are your lives? <laughs> You're like some of the biggest stars of Japan. Busy learning and you, dances. You don't in the know studio. how Instagram mentions work. Anyway, uh, one last thing, briefly before we wrap this up. Um, new game alert. New mobile game alert. There is a uh, there is a card game, a Marvel themed card game for iOS and Android that came out last week called Marvel Snap that I've been playing oh. with a little bit. Okay. It is. You think it's going to be like a Shadowverse, Hearthstone type of vibe. Um, it is different in the fact, in the sense that your goal is to like, there are, it's six, six turns. That's it. Game ends after six turns. And there are three like tiles on the board and the tiles are like locations from the Marvel universe. And you can lay up to four cards in each location. And you're just trying to like get a score high enough on each location to win it. Whoever gets two out of three wins the match. And the cards have mm-hmm. different effects when you flip them over or ongoing effects. The locations have different effects. There's enough kind of complexity there to keep you interested. Um, and this is what I'm not crazy about. There is no gacha element to this game. Oh. There are no packs to grind for. There's no thrill of Ooh. opening something and tapping the back of a card and having it go shoom when it's like a super rare. You can level up your cards as you go which kind of sets you on this path to unlock more cards, but it kind of seems like everybody, every player kind of has the same deck a little bit. Uh, so there's nothing that scratches the sickness itch. There is no sickness itch on this game. No, there is a, like, like I said, as you go along the road, it says, you know, mystery card. I don't know if it's the same card for everyone as you go along, but I have also definitely seen people play cards that I have not seen yet. And I've been like, how did you get that friend? Um, <laughs> Please tell me. There I is need it. <laughs> there is a paywall uh, involved at a certain point. You kind of get up Boo. to like, you get you get up to like level twenty of what they call I don't even know what the hell they call it. Uh, the season pass. You get like a free run of the first season pass, and when you complete that, then it's like thirteen ninety nine to get anything good mm. out of season pass, which I will not do. As we know, I do not pay for these games. But as a fun little distraction. 
I haven't had a yeah. bad time. I don't play it lengthy, but like when it occurs to me or I'm waiting for the bus or whatever, super quick. Like I said, six turns and a game's done. Um, it's called Marvel Snap because if you think you can win, you can snap and you win, you win cosmic cubes. God. And that determines your player rank through the season type of thing. Um, and it's normally you win two. You win one or two in a match. But if you think you got it, you can snap. And then you can also... There's like a bluffing element there as well. Because if your opponent snaps, you're like, oh shit, do I have this? Or like, I'm, I'm going to lose four from my... I'm going to lose four points from my rank if the guy snaps and I lose. Or I'll win four either way. If I snap and I win or he snaps and I win, I get four points. That was a very convoluted way of explaining that mechanic, and I never use it. <laughs> Game's called Marvel I, Snap. I never use the snap mechanic at all. I just play <laughs> uh, You're like, I just like collecting things. Leave me alone. <laughs> just, I just want the cards. I don't um, care if it's physical or, or digital. I must collect things at all times. <laughs> God, what is wrong with me? Friends, that's what I've been getting into. We're going to take a break right here. And when we come back, we're going to wrap up spoopy season with a discussion I'm very interested to have. With Ms. McKinnon, when we get mm-hmm. into AMC Plus's new adaptation of the classic work of vampire fiction by Anne Rice. Interview with the Vampire is after this break. And welcome back to the show. This is the half of the show where we talk about the thing we have brought each other. This week, I think it's going to be something... uh, It'll be a very interesting conversation. I think. I think. Um, Before we get into it, though, we have some rules. Mm. The first rule being the rule of three, which is that we will watch three episodes, if it comes in episodes, so that the series gets a chance to become the thing it's trying to become. Um, I... Told Jordan he only had to watch two um, because of time limitations and accessibility limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but that's because this thing out the gate really knows what it is. Mm. So I didn't think we needed to deep dive three episodes. Didn't need to watch three to form no. my opinion on it. No. Uh, the second rule is hashtag save it for the pod. That is the rule that we were not. We will not talk about the thing we have uh, brought each other until we are sitting in front of these microphones because we want you guys to get the freshest of takes. Just like I kept that, you know, masquerade in the back. <laughs> I didn't I didn't tell Jordan up front about that. It's the same thing here. I don't want him to know. Maybe I hated it. Maybe she did. He doesn't know. Maybe she he did. He doesn't know. Yeah. Um, the third rule is not a rule. It is just a podcast policy. It's that there will be spoilers. Mm-hmm. So if you have not watch this or you haven't read the book or you haven't seen the 1990, I don't know, five, three movie. Yeah, something, something like that. Um, then, and you're like, ah, I don't want to know anything. Um, I want to come into this blind. Then you got to go because um, we are going to get very spoilery. I would even say if you have read the book and seen the movie. Yes. And you don't want to be spoiled. Skip yes. this conversation. Yes. Um, and maybe go watch it and then come back. Because we like it when you come back. We like when you come for a visit. <laughs> we like that. Yeah. Um, you know, get your costume ready. Get your candy bowl ready for tomorrow. 
you know, it's a work day. You got to get I home. mean, it will already have happened by the time you've listened to this, but get your candy bowl ready is just a maximum for life oh, at all times. So. <laughs> you know what? You're right. And, hey, November 1st, make sure, you know, you're going to get ready to uh, buy discount candy. Get, so get you don't have time. Get that clearance candy out. Yeah. Uh, but after you go and buy discount candy, then come back. Yes. Um, and and uh, listen to us talk about this. Um, so... I'm going to, it doesn't have a great synopsis on Wikipedia. I'm just going to give you the first part and then I'll give you a bit of a synopsis. Um, so Anne Rice's interview with the vampire or simply interview with the vampire is an American Gothic horror vampire television series created by Roland Jones, who has worked on things like weeds and Friday night lights and Boardwalk empire and United States of Tara. So, and he's been a playwright for years. So, He's got a lot of stuff under his belt um, and uh, based on the 1976 novel of the same name by Anne Rice. It stars Sam Reed as the vampire Lestat de Leoncourt, uh, Jacob Anderson as his lover and protege, Louis Dupont du Lac. Uh, Jacob Anderson, most people would know as Wormtongue from Game of Thrones. Grey Worm. Bailey. What? Oh, Grey Worm. Grey sorry. Worm. Um, oh, all those names get confused. Um <laughs> Wormtongue is from Lord of the Rings. Uh, Bailey Bass as the teenage vampire Claudia and Eric Bogosian as the reporter Daniel Malloy. Um, so what's really important about this is that this is a what they call a contemporary reinvention of Anne Rice's uh, novel Interview with the Vampire. Now, in the original book as well as film from, I believe it was 1993. Um, That was set in the late 1700s. They have updated it so that it actually uh, begins in 1910 or in the 1910s. Um, It still takes place in New Orleans, um, which was very, very important to Anne Rice. She grew up there and a lot of her novels are set in New Orleans. Um, they have changed Louise race um, going from a uh, white plantation owner to a black man. Um, they've changed some other bits of the story. So in the book, um, Louise brother dies at the beginning and Louise having a hard time dealing with this and then meets Lestat um, in the film. Louis doesn't even have a brother. He's his like daughter and wife have just died. Um, and this, his family is still around um, basically Lestat takes an in- interest in Louis, falls in love with him and gets him to agree to become a vampire. They have their problems. They are in love, but also Louis has a hard time with the murdering thing. Whereas Lestat really relishes it. Um, and Louis makes a bad choice and basically, his bad choice to murder an white alderman and display his body on the like gates of like the city hall or the town square or whatever sends all of that part of New Orleans into a, a race riot um, slash lynching. And um, as houses are being burnt, um, he stumbles apro- uh, across Claudia now, in the book and the film, Claudia is dying, or Claudia's mother has died of some illness. What? I'm just laughing because apparently it's a pro-spoiler podcast for me, too, y'all. I just had episode three just totally exposed for me. Oh, well, 
Sorry, sorry, sorry. Hey, I I tried to warn you. Um, hey, I, I know what kind of show this is. Yeah, but I mean, this is. I'm just trying to say, like, it it follows a lot of the same beats, right? But the in between is what they have completely yes. changed. Um, so basically, he did he he comes across Claudia in a fire, and the same. I've only got to the part where basically they make her into a. In the book and in the the movie, she's like a very much a child vampire, and this mm. she's a teenage vampire, um, which is a, actually a big change. So there there is sort of like two two sides of the fence of fans who have watched the movie and like read the books and stuff. One side is like this is awesome; they have totally reimagined the 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 story. Like, same beats are there, same characters, um, but they've done new things to it. There's another side of the fence who are losing their goddamn minds. This has a terrible IMDb score. But it has a good score other places. Rotten Tomatoes, it's got like a 96, but IMDb's got a six point something, which is wild, but... So, 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 like I said, like... And this is like, we're not even talking about people who don't know the story, who this is brand new to them. They've never really encountered okay, encountered okay. Interview with a Vampire. Let me jump in. Fuck those people. Caitlin McKinnon. <laughs> yeah. This is, I don't, I don't know what to say, it's like with me and Cowboy Bebop, but this is a pretty core property for you, right? Like you love you some Anne Yeah, Rice. oh, this was like hugely influential. I actually met met my one of my very best friends, Ren Hanman. Um and one of the first things we talked about was Interview with the Vampire right. and Anne Rice's Vampire series, which I had read in junior high. So very, very important property for you. Yes. What side of the fence are you on? I love this. Holy shit, y'all. This is so good. I was like really worried. I was worried mm-hmm. about not so much the casting. I didn't at first I didn't love uh um Lestat. Mm. Or the actor who plays Lestat. At right. first, I was like, "Ooh, I don't know. He's like very pretty." <laughs> but then the more of the so Lestat in the books, he has a nickname. It's the Brat Prince. Yes. Um, and the more you watch him, the more you're like, "Like I can't." I, there's a part where he basically gets jealous, or he gets jealous a lot actually. Um, and I'm one, like, one part. <laughs> I'm like, this is so like this is so Lestat, and like I was worried about so the um reporter i was really worried about that um i was like oh it's kind of hokey that daniel comes back but it isn't please please let me jump in now please let me jump in yes 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 yes. last week on this show we talked about ursa yatsura which is a property from the 70s and 80s that was redone for contemporary audience and we were both so disappointed by that because it did nothing to update the formula. And I've seen, I watched half yeah. of the second episode and it was fine. It was a chill hang. It still looks gorgeous, but it's not really doing anything. When I realized what they were doing in that first episode setup, where it's like yeah. a continuation, like the events of the movie happened. They did this once before. The story as you know it, Daniel goes, interviews Louie. Daniel was young. He's like, man, just make me a vampire. Louis like, you didn't understand a goddamn thing I said. Fight, kerfuffle, whatever. That all happened. This is a redo. This is, they are older. They have both learned some things. The pandemic has happened. 
Yeah. I'm not like, listen, you already got me hooked for season two when he throws off a tossed off question about like, you know, have the vampires been waiting for something like this? And Louis's like, oh yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. they've been waiting for this. Um, realizing that that's what they were doing was such an elegant way to position this story in the present that it already happened. And now they are different people and they're going to try this again because they understand and- themselves a little better. They've had 40 years to think about Daniel, especially has had 40 years to think about what happened then. Yeah. Um, and the inclusion of Eric Bogosian warms my Gen X heart. <laughs> <laughs> seeing him show up i was like holy shit and he's awesome in the role like yeah yes and well and also i need to mention like they talk a lot about memory mm-hmm. and they also yeah it's it's just a lot about like memory and how we frame the past and i just it, it's beautiful it's beautiful it's amazing storytelling i'm so interested in in and it's Louis struggle about like a lot of things. It's no no longer just about taking lives. Um, it's about a bunch of different stuff. And at first, I was a little I was unsure about. I know you haven't got there, but I was unsure about making Claudia a teenager. Mm-hmm. Just because part unjust. of her because part of her tragedy was always that she was like was always an a eight child. year old, right? Yeah, she was in the body of an yeah. eight year old. And. Well, in in the book, she's five. Oh shit! Really? In 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 the movie, I think they make her eight, but she she Kristen Dunst was like eleven, but right. she looks a little bit younger. She's a child though, and this she's a teenager, and and she's fourteen, um, and it, it also with the whole idea of like never going through puberty. But having the sort of like emotions of a teenager, <laughs> she all this thing they sort of focus more in on like relationships and love and life, and it, it hasn't. I haven't gone past that yet, but that they really like start to hammer that home. So that I thought was also a very mature choice. Now I have to just talk about going back to people losing their minds. Mm. So if you look on IMBD and look at some of the reviews, which I did because I was really curious about why it had such a low score, a lot of people are like, this is not Anne Rice's vision. Bro, this- she wrote three of the episodes. Did she really? Because I'm yes. very curious about this because because she was notorious for – she was anti-fanfic. She was very litigious. There have been articles written about this, about how she kind of like missed the mark on early internet. And was really like, this is my shit. Don't touch it. Not only was she an executive producer, um, her, both her and her son worked together on this. I think mm. they're the one who brought it. They they had the rights, I think, reverted to them. Right. And they like brought it. And they actually like – so I was part – I am still like on the Anne Rice like Facebook group or whatever. <laughs> Um, and they gave like step-by-step like, Hey, like it would be Christopher, her son be like, Chris here, like just saying that we've been shopping around Hmm. the series because they wanted such a hand in, in writing it. Right. Um, so like, yeah, she like helped write, maybe she didn't fully write, but she helped write three of the episodes. But she was not hands off on this production. No, not at all. She was 
more hands-on than like I'm I'm gonna say she's as hands-on as Neil Gaiman mm. in Sandman. Like this was her, I think, idea to basically like update it, like make it, you know, take the same beats because it is an interesting story about like family and death and loss and all of that and like transform it for a new age. As I keep on saying, you don't we don't need to hear the same story over and over and over again. And like um listen, the it's even in the two episodes I have seen, it has so smartly made use of the extra time it has and the extra room it has being a TV show instead of a a film. Mhm. I the one thing I wrote it down in my notes because it was just I was struck by you could only do this on a television show and I'm living for it is Louie and his brother tap dancing at his sister's wedding. Yeah. Just such a beautiful moment. And yes, it's, it's the like, you know, you know, his brother's going to get McBain the second they have that beautiful <laughs> moment on the, on the roof. Mm-hmm. But that moment on the roof means more because there's been all this strife between Louie and his brother. And then they kind of put that aside and do this tap dance routine, which is just so joyful and beautiful to watch. And you're showing me something I haven't seen before and I'm invested and I like it, which means that when Paul takes a tumble off the roof, 10 minutes later, I feel that more. It's just, we've seen so much bad stuff. I think (laughs) yeah, that like when you actually follow the basic plot mechanics of storied character development, it just hits so much harder. Like I was very, very taken by that. Um, and also what I want to say, I'm surprised to hear you say that she was that hands-on because the take I always got, especially by like Queen of the Damned Era, was Lestat is ostensibly supposed to be the villain of the first book, but she clearly loved him. So yeah. he became the focus. Mm-hmm. And I am sure there are 20,000 word Tumblr posts out there explaining to me all of the ways, all of the toxicity of Louis and Lestat's relationship, yes. which I don't know that Anne Rice really wanted to reckon with at the time. This show does. Oh, yes, it does. You're in for a sweet treat and, <laughs> in the next couple episodes. And also, was it overt in the book that the they sexuality? were lovers? Yes. No, it wasn't. Now, in the book, so Anne Rice, I, I watched this mini documentary, and in it she said, I didn't realize... That it was, I mean, <laughs> vampire fiction comes from, I don't know if you know this, but it, it actually comes from a place of homosexuality. I did not know that. Tra- and from tracks, lesbianism. But I didn't, tracks, but I didn't know it. So the first vampire fiction, and yeah, you can yell at me in the comics, I get this wrong, but the first vampire fiction was actually a lesbian vampire fiction. Um, and I mean, obviously the lesbianism is played as being like, you know, a horror and it's from the the vampire that is trying to like get this, seduce this other woman. Um, and then the same thing with, you know, a lot of vampire fiction that continued, it was very like gay. Um, and Anne Rice was really involved in the, um, the group of like gay and homosexual like playwrights and queer playwrights and, and writers in Louisiana and in New Orleans. Um, she had tons of, of friends who were gay. She was an ally. Um, Christopher Rice came out as gay quite a long time. Her son came out as gay quite a long time ago. Um, and 
like she embraced the way that people were like, this is a really gay story. <laughs> now in the books, and this is really funny because it's, I, if Ren ever hears this episode, she'll have a good chuckle. Um, in the books, the vampires can't have sex. Mm. Um, so, um, there was never sort of any of that part of it. Um, but as the story like transformed and even in the nineties movie, there was definitely undertones of gay. Now, um, Lestat and Louis were both gay in other books Mm. in the series. Um, like that was very obvious. Um, uh, and like they had lovers. And, well, yeah, because Lestat yeah. was in love with Armand, and they were lovers for a while, right? Um, I think Armand was in love with Louis. Um, oh yes, no, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so it, there, but there are characters um, in the book that like Lestat fully has relationships with, and same with Louis, and yeah, it's it was very like bisexual basically the, like there's a lot of bisexualness going around the point um, is there's no subtext with this show this show no. is like this is a gay as hell show and we are leaning into it and delightful yeah by all means yeah um and i think again i think Anne rice like she fully embraced it she never was like oh no that's not what i meant she's like oh yeah no that's yeah absolutely um so then she wrote other books fully she she definitely um and it might have been subconscious because i'm i'm you know lestat is attracted to louis he like obviously loves him right so yeah in his in, in his in his way um yeah yes. i'm i'm very like louis frames him as such in the first episode i was being hunted yes i was but- i was being preyed on now, this is going to be interesting because in the second book, which is The Vampire Lestat, he literally is like, Louis full of shit. <laughs> I was not that bad. <laughs> um, and his story is that, like, Louis is, um, oh, what do they call it when you have a, a narrator who is... Unreliable narrator? Unreliable narrator, which they do already talk about and, they and le- touch on. They lean into that in this show where, like, yeah. you know... As and which I love because now you have Bogosian playing the older Daniel, a more grizzled reporter, who is like, <laughs> "Did you eat the baby?" Is my favorite line from this <laughs> show so far. Louis, just, Louis, just monologuing about whatever his Louis, you know, Louis is, and I think everybody affectionately realizes he's a bit of a prat, right? Like, yes, <laughs> especially I mean the Brad Pitt version, especially, but this version is not exempt from that as well. He likes no. to monologue. He likes to, you know, give his big thoughts. And just Eric Bogosian sitting there at dinner going, did you eat the baby, though? Did you eat the baby? What about the baby? <laughs> what about the baby? I, I busted out laughing because it's <laughs> absurd. Like, But, of course, he would ask that. And it's it's clear that by placing the Daniel character further along in his life with the revelation that, you know, he's got Parkinson's. And what that's going to mean going forward by the end of the season, um, he's not going to tiptoe around any of this, right? He's he's a better yeah. journalist, he's a better writer, and he's not scared of Louis, at least not like he might have been the first go around. Yeah, so and he, he knows he knows like whereas Daniel from if you the movie or the book or whatever, um, he's very like almost joking. Well, think about who played him in the movie. <laughs> yes, Christian, Christian Slater. Christian Slater. So all of Christian Slater's shit-eating grin and, <laughs> and like, this is absurd thing. 
But at the end of the interview, and this is the same in the movie and the book, Louis sort of like reveals his nature, right? Like, like, or throughout he'll like move really fast or Christian Slater's like, okay. Um, and at the end, like there is a moment where he really like, he doesn't attack Daniel, but he basically like totally freaks him out. So like Daniel knows that things exist, go bump in the night. Like he's known this for many, many years that vampires are real. Um, so you don't have to, you can sort of like do away with that. Cause he already knows there's not like yeah. this introduction to vampires. He like already knows all that. So, and again, it was just such an elegant way to sort of rotate the focus of the story. And it's just, I, that was like, that for me was like one of those moments where I was like, I would have loved to be in the writer's room when they pitched that. And when they realized that that was the angle they had to take, that must've been a real good day in the writer's room when they, yeah. when they figured that out. Kate, I'm stunned at how good this show is, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. It is nine out of 10 for me. I would say the same. I was, and I said like, listen, all shout praises due to number one fan, Australia's finest Kira, who yeah. you were going to watch this anyway, I think, but Kira had already watched it and was like kind of on me on Twitter to be like, you guys should be checking this out if you're not done with spoopy season yet. Um, and I messaged her yesterday just saying like, I'm eight minutes in. How is this so good? <laughs> <laughs> From the dumb little, like, the introduction to Daniel is an advertisement for his, like, fake masterclass <laughs> practicum, yeah, so or what it, practicum or whatever it's called. Yeah. I was like, that's so good. Like, <laughs> I was just, this is on, this is on Amazon with an X, with an add-on. Um, it's on AMC Plus. I really hope, I don't know if it's even on cable cable. Like, if you have AMC, I don't know if you can watch this. Find a way to watch it. That's all I'm going to say. Um, yeah. If you if you got if you got the cash to, to pony up for a month, or if you want to burn want to wait till it's done and burn through a complimentary uh you know preview week on AMC Plus, I highly recommend do it. it. I was do it. I was very very surprised and delighted by how well made this show is, how well acted this show is, the way it takes a story that I'm not you know I don't know it as well as Caitlin does. I've read the book moons ago, and I've seen the movie. Slightly fewer moons ago, but I know the beats. I know the general gist and just the way, the way this show has taken this story and just expanded it in like all the right ways. Like I haven't. This, this is the epitome of, of doing a retelling right. It's real. It's really the best version of a reboot that I think I've seen yeah. in a very long time. So yeah. shouts to everyone. Shouts to everyone involved in this. And, and RIP Anne Rice. And I hope. <laughs> If there is if there is a heaven, I hope you're like up there being like, Yeah, I did a good job. Had a wild, weird, and occasionally problematic life, but I mean she told some good ass stories that are continuing to inspire great work, so raise your glass. Well, fans, that's gonna wrap spoopy season for another year, and you know what that means. You know what that means. Um <laughs> it is November Crapathon. It is Crapathon, y'all. This is where we deliberately watch bad things because we like to punish ourselves, and sometimes watching bad things and talking about them can be fun. Paul Shear has made an entire podcast dynasty on that very premise. So <laughs> I don't recall how this happened, how this originally started, but it's been my favorite time of the year ever since. And I've got some in the hopper already. If you have suggestions oh, yeah. of bad things that we need to watch, you can get at us at twitter.com slash geekdownpod. Let us know. We are there until Elon shuts us down. <laughs> <laughs> get up off Twitter.
Do you I, want- think, I think there's a whole thing about people like taking stuff off of Twitter or like recording it now because it's going to be gone soon. It will be gone. And if, so if that's the place for to leave us recommendations. Otherwise, we will be back next week to kick that off. I'm super excited. Friends, thank you so much for spending an hour and change with us every week. It truly means the world to us. My name is Jordan Ferguson. My name is Caitlin McKinnon. The theme song is by Rob Gasser. And I hope you will join us next week for another fantastic episode of the Geek Down podcast. And it's going to be super crappy and awesome. And I hope to see you there. Kate? Yes? Say something funny. Oh, God. Every time. I'm going to run out yeah, of it's things. Just, it's just a bit now. I'm <laughs> just like asking just you to a, say something just funny. A, just a thing. Just, I'm going to have to like come up with one-liners. There'll be some jokes in there. You've <laughs> done this. <laughs> just remember. Just remember. Well, when as getting, this goes on, you've done this. When I'm getting vaudeville uh, one-liners. Vaudeville's <laughs> greatest hits. I'm doing like the, ooh, that John Stewart used to do. <laughs> A hook comes and pulls me off the stage. Oh, that is you. You've done this. Out there with the flapping dicky. <laughs> <laughs>